Hi, friends. I'm Chandra Sanchez. And I'm Misha Lazera. And you're listening to Bandwives. doing well i um i'm going to go to the doctor because i think i broke my kneecap oh no i know it happened last weekend i was running downstairs and turned the corner to go into a thing and it hit it right on the door jam hard enough that i heard like a snap and then i just felt this like shooting pain down um and then i thought i was like being dramatic so i'm like i'll give it some time and it's falling will go down but it's getting worse so i think i'm just gonna go and get it checked out to make sure that uh, it's not going to physically separate as I walk. Oh yeah, yeah. The patella is already so weird. It's like I weird and so bloody. Weird. I know. Uh, and it's connected just by you know like strings and stuff. Yeah. So. And it's weird because I can I can walk okay. It's not so bad. And going upstairs sucks, but isn't the worst. But going downstairs is like almost impossible. And obviously taking trains everywhere and we live in a three-story house like you know it's not not great so I'm just gonna go check it out make sure I'm not doing further damage yikes I went to the doctor this week and this is like maybe TMI but this is maybe also our job and I have to get a mammogram now I know when I'm not quite 40 but I was like getting a little like it's it's a cyst which I guess is also very normal but um they want to check it out so good yeah, the waiting is what gets you, you know, and I like we're all busy. I am very guilty of it as well. Like just sleeping on things because you kind of fall last in line in the health chain. But yep, just go. And then mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it. It's not lingering back there. So exactly. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. that you to the doctor. I know. I just was like, I'm just not gonna. Yeah, I don't have this time to worry about that for like six months and then be like super scared by the time I go. And so I just noticed it like a month ago and I know it's common I'm probably coming up on menopause again TMI you know at some point and then for sure in the next 10 years and so I know that they get the hormones get crazy so mm-hmm. it's you know probably fine knock on wood but I just want to go and also my espresso is very bad <laughs> I just took a drink and I was like no we got a new espresso maker and it's a learning curve it's a learning curve I'm I've failed. We can't all be Italian cafes and Chianti. Perfetto. That's what they were. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you my Starbucks coffee is equally bad, but in the best possible way. (laughs) But it's a known quantity. It's yeah. Yeah, this is I'm just going to do it because I made it and I tried, but it's it's not really working. Oh, shoot. I don't think I can drink it. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It'll get better. It might get better. Just keep drinking it. Put some, uh, put some like a lot of sugar in there. Maybe some cream. Uh, I don't know. I know. I know. We're at our office where we work. Well, I have, so we don't have much, but I have honey, which probably would help. What if you put a Girl Scout cookie in there and just let it melt and see what happens? Yeah, it's like a potion. It with a spoon? Yes. <laughs> oh, speaking of potions, I found a book at the library yesterday that's making me so happy. It's called Literary Witches. You, I almost sent you a picture of it today, this morning, and then I was late. But I 
I, it's really inspiring and cute and the art's really cute. I think you would really like it. I'm in my summer mode of like pulling in as many new books as I possibly can, pretending that I'm actually going to have 10 minutes to read them, but very hopeful. So I'm going to put that on my list. I'm going to write it down right now. Yeah, I just found it at the library and that's what I did this morning. Just 10 minutes. I didn't have a bunch of time, but they're, they're really short snippets about amazing writers and how witchy they were. And so it's making me happy. You know, you just said something that I think is valuable and it is that I only had 10 minutes. Because I feel like sometimes with reading, I'm like, well, I don't have three hours to get lost in this book. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be 10 mm -hmm. minutes on the train. No, yeah. from being an English major, I definitely learned, I mean, it's your homework. And so mm -hmm. it's like, even if you only have 10 minutes, you have to, to start doing your homework. And you and so I can sit and read for a few minutes. And I also really am used to reading at least three books at once, mm -hmm. which is yeah. my downfall sometimes because I'll see one. Uh, like a, a, I love Ann Tyler but I will like have her books laying around and I'll be like I haven't picked that up for six months I better finish it <laughs> well then it becomes sort of like the Thunderdome because if she's not winning if she's not the one you reach for first that's true I always think to myself oh man I'm, I'm so bad for not finishing this but then sometimes it's not that it's just it wasn't for me it's okay I know sometimes I also forget that's such a good point that reading is just entertainment Mm -hmm. I forget that for my own job. <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is all just fun and games. And then you can forget when you're, you know, trudging through a book. I never trudge through Ann Tyler, but I do get distracted. Yeah. And then and that's okay. Cause it's, it is entertainment at the end of the day. So, um, we saw the cure this weekend or this week, rather weekday. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, have you guys ever gone to see them play live? Mm -mm. No. Um, so this was actually our third time seeing them because we saw them in uh, at a, a festival in England and then we saw them um, at a in Hawaii incidentally we were like playing a show there that's so cool I don't know what Robert Smith is doing but his voice it sounds better every time we see them it's unreal and they play for three hours it's just something else highly recommend it he should tell us what he's doing he should <laughs> yes. tell other singers that's amazing yeah So today on the show, we have Tamsin Embleton. After 10 years working in the live music industry as a venue, festival, and event booker, grants advisor, artist manager, and tour manager, she now works as an attachment-based psychodynamic psychotherapist. She runs a private practice in London and specializes in working with musicians and music industry at all stages of their career, from emerging artists to household names. Tamsin is currently researching the psychological impact of touring and will be using her findings to create best practices documents to support artists and crew with the myriad psychological pressures that occur both on and off the road. Um, she also has a book out that we're very, very excited to talk about. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think we'll just get started with asking you what we ask everyone around here. And I'm assuming your answers will be very different. <laughs> and we're just really curious to hear about what you are juggling this week. Oh, gosh, what am I juggling? Um, well, full client load, um, full case load um, and lots of podcasts. And actually, tomorrow we're headed to... Roskilde Festival in Denmark. So I run a, a network of therapists called Music Industry Therapists Collective. We're all ex-industry. We're across the States, across the UK and Europe. And from tomorrow onwards, we're up Roskilde backstage doing workshops. We have books in the dressing rooms, doing one-to-one -one therapy. 
physiotherapy, breath work, injury prevention. We've got a medical doctor as part of our team as well. So that's, yeah, that's where we're headed. Ooh, goosebumps. That's amazing. So uh, this isn't actually on our on our list of questions, but um, obviously you took a few detours and and different paths in your life. Like, what was the process uh, of working on your book like for you? Mm, interesting. I mean, I think it, uh, it's best to say unplanned. Let's. <laughs> so I uh, I did a piece of research in 2016 to 2018, which was that researching the psychological impact of touring. And it was from there I came to LA, met with a, a psychologist who researches trauma and creativity. And I said, look, I want to write a book about touring and I want to make it as full as possible. And I want it to be from the perspective of the artist and the crew and the people at home. And, and she said, go for it. So we started to, so the process for that was, um, I mean, there was a kind of crowdfunding and things like that. And then Michael Rapino at Live Nation saw it and sponsored it, which was amazing. A lot of research, uh, I interviewed, I think it's nearly 90 people, lots of production managers, oh. tour managers, production coordinators, lots and lots of artists. Um, and I had some researchers help me analyze all of those interviews and pick out themes. And, and as we were starting to sort of form the book, it's kind of, it's in six uh, parts. So do you know what, I might just, um, is it, shall I, shall I tell you what the parts are? Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, I was hoping okay. you would kind of, let us okay. know what you found out. Okay, so the first section is all about uh, background. So there's a chapter that analyzes all the research into musicians' mental health and mental health more broadly in the music industry. What the trends are there? What do we see? Um, and, you know, it's kind of reconfirming what we know in, in lots of ways in terms of the very high levels of um, anxiety, of depression, of suicidality, um, addiction. Um, and then it teases out some parts about, um, you know, uh, say it looks at what might make you more vulnerable. So when people have higher levels of adverse childhood experiences, for example, um, then that means that they are at higher risk of developing eating disorders and, uh, you know, psychological difficulties and having problems in relationships. So basically what we see is we have um, a very high stress industry. And we have some people that are coming into the industry who are already, their systems are already stressed and either they get relief from playing music or being around music or being part of putting on these exhilarating shows. But the, the wider conditions of the industry, especially in live, because it's so fast paced, turbulent, you know, you've got job insecurity, financial insecurity, it's hard to establish and maintain relationships. It kind of hits you. At a number of angles it can hit you physically because you're exhausted, you're not getting good sleep, it impacts your circadian rhythm, um, you know, lifestyle factors, uh, you know, people are using things to help them get energy through the day and to help them kind of, you know, decompress after the show and try and wind down. And then some of, sometimes they have secondary health issues um, and it hits you um, in your relationships too. So the first section of the book is really about what is mental health and mental illness and neurodiversity and how do these things develop so it's giving you lots of background the relationship between the mind and body um, and then this kind of deep dive into the situation in the music business and some speculation as to you know why is it that we're seeing so many people burn out on the road and we're seeing that more and more i think after the pandemic as well you know 
capacities have changed there's you know additional strain on tours to make money people are kind of um touring quite intensely you know there's some issues with well certainly on our side with kind of visas and all these additional stresses on top we haven't quite recovered from the pandemic yet um then the second section is all about relationships so from group dynamics on the road because we know that one of the sources of stress on the road that isn't researched a great deal is um, the dynamics in the group, whether that's mm. the crew, whether that's the artist, whether that's the dynamics between the crews and the artists, you know, that there can be a lot of misunderstanding about these two groups of people and what makes them tick and the pressures they're under. Um, and, you know, how do groups form and hierarchies and cliques and all the things that happen on the road that can be challenging. Um, why bands fail. So what are the kind of pressure points that we commonly see in um, bands that, uh, you know, combust, I suppose. And then romantic relationships, because as I'm sure you both know, um, you know, trying to establish and maintain relationships with someone who tours can be really difficult, can bring up a lot for you. You've got all these, um, you know, tensions before people leave, as they come back, you've got these expectations of how it can be, it rarely meets them, you've got all this adjustment, you know, all of these other things that can come up around um, trust, around abandonment, about rejection, around being prioritised, around, you know, how these things compare and whether it puts you in a kind of competitive position to the tour and a job that can give someone a lot or all of these different dynamics. So I wanted to talk about that as well. And then um, the last part of that section is all about anger management and conflict resolution, because we know that things can get very heightened on the road. And so that's... Yes. Yeah, that's the first two two parts of six, but I feel like I need to take a breather. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Yeah. So Live Nation ought to be purchasing cases upon cases, correct? And putting them in every dressing room for every venue yes. that they are connected with. They've bought, they, so far they've bought 3,000 copies and I've just be. I'm not quite sure where they've gone, but I saw <laughs> one at Brooklyn Bowl in Philadelphia oh, and... We're just about to get a Spanish version, so maybe they'll buy some Spanish copies. But yeah, we'd love to see it backstage more for sure. Do you know the um, the Roadie Clinic? Yes, Courtney. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we actually had Courtney on the show um, uh, the first season, and and hearing her speak about the work that they're doing for crews and yeah. mental health uh, was really inspiring. It's a really difficult dynamic to understand until you've lived it, and it's. I think it's important that you're coming from all of this really real life experience, you know, because I think sometimes uh, it's hard for people to open up when they're in these what are considered closed circles. Yes. And there is a lot of, you know, secrecy and shame and hierarchies and things that kind of come into play. So it's a really challenging dynamic to navigate, certainly for families, um, but also for, you know, for the people out there. So absolutely. And you don't want to be the weak link. You know, so so often people don't um, open up on the road uh, because everyone's trying to keep their head above water. You know, emotions can spread like wildfire. It's quite a sort of pressure cooker environment. So you need somewhere to go with it. And I think the work that the Rodi Clinic are doing is amazing because they're looking at it really holistically and they're looking at the family as well and say, look, let's get everyone in and we can see if we can help navigate whatever people are going through together. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you mentioned the background and then relationships, and I'm sure people listening, they have this image of, like, say, Adam and Claudio, they toured together 
I don't know, was that eight years ago? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's like they saw each other every day for two months and then potentially don't see each other again, you know, for right. years and years. And so, you know, it's kind of like a difficult dynamic for and that happens over and over and over again. And so these mm -hmm. like, you know, these people in bands who you might think are, are best friends and they might have been for a span of two months, you know, then they have they just kind of keep repeating that process. And I know that can be just strange, just a strange way to have and maintain friendships. But also with the crew, you spoke on that. And I know for my husband's band, for example, they try really hard to keep on the same crew tour after tour, year after year, because it just helps create a sense of foundation yes. um, that he, that my husband for, and, and his band is th and the crew, you know, is so important to them on the road year after year. Sure, you want to create that psychological safety, that sense of familiarity, and a kind of you know you get once you get into your stride and things feel like it's a well-oiled machine, then that relieve that stress relieving, right? When you know you can rely on these people because they know exactly how you need it to be, and you know then you can work together really well. I think that's um, yeah, that's the ideal. It's quite challenging to maintain that in the times where you know somebody's recording or writing and then you know then what happens and yeah yeah creating security for people when there's it's not a touring year or something it's such a it's such a strange industry you know to begin yes. with and so disjointed um I've noticed a huge change in the last few years when my husband tours versus when we were you know 25 um he really enjoys it in a way that he didn't before because they have that stability and they have people right. who love each other who speak you know outside of touring and who are consistent it's, it's such a good point and I think it's something that maybe as an industry we can strive to make easier for people um yeah things like healthcare and uh yes. you know how do we make this a reality yes that's that's something um Courtney's rolled out at Roadie Clinic actually they have um they have a new low-cost uh, medical plan insurance plan in the states which sounds like it's a uh, yeah I was speaking to some uh, some of our crew about it the other day, even the idea of being able to like pick up your medication close to a venue mm -hmm. um, or have, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of mental health medication in the States is highly regulated. And so you can't send a prescription from state to state. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it can be really hard for people to get their things refilled and try to get off site and take a taxi, you know, 40 minutes away or whatever it is. So I think it's yes. remarkable. That's um, something we wanted to address a little bit in the book in terms of continuity of care as well, because you can potentially be seeing different doctors at different venues or hotels or wherever you access them who are medicating you in different ways. And then you've got all the ways that those, you know, medicines potentially interact with each other. You can have adverse drug experience. Do they call it adverse drug? drug maybe it's adverse drug events, I think. But um, yeah, so that's something that is one of the problems, you know. And so often I know we all have seen that it turns into self-medicating Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, or the the idea of finding a way to ease the anxiety or the stress, which you mentioned addiction and. Yes. And in terms of, you know, what we might describe them as rock docs, you do have some people who uh, unfortunately will prescribe um, medication, even when it's not in the client's best interest. You know, we've obviously seen that with Michael Jackson and, and other yeah. people too. Um, but yeah, of course, addiction um, can be exacerbated or sort of um, the seeds planted on tour. 
through proximity, high stress situations, certainly if people are, are coming on tour with underlying vulnerabilities, unresolved traumas and things like that. And so there's a section on, so the next section is anxiety, depression and crisis, which uh, includes music performance, anxiety, depression, um, how to respond in a crisis manage, uh, in, in a crisis situation if someone's having a psychotic episode or an overdose. Um, and we have a chapter online about flight anxiety and there's an anxiety chapter, but then we go into stress, trauma, addiction and eating disorders. And we have a chapter on each, including a chapter for sex and porn addiction, which is one of the addictions that's not spoken about quite as much on the road. Um, so we really wanted to tackle that, uh, you know, and, and what might be, you know, at play and uh, you know there's elements potentially of, of people feeling disconnected of trying to uh, regulate themselves in unhealthy ways and reaching for things that are around whether that's substances whether that's gambling shopping alcohol everything else yeah yeah just replacing addictions and it really does become an easy thing to do when you're surrounded by yes men all the time yeah people whose job is solely to make sure you get through that show or that day or that tour. And it can end up, you know, tour managers potentially enabling by facilitating, because as you say, there are these kind of this, there's a conflict sometimes between what's best for the person and the individual and what's best for the show, what's best for the, the artist, you know, so it's, we're trying in the book to bring these two things together and say, look, what's best for that person there's times where there, there has to be some tough decisions made, you know, that what yeah. might be best for the artist might not be best for the person. That's where it comes into play, like having people that really know you and love you and care about you and as a whole person instead of just, you know, just a job. Yes, exactly. We studied hard for our trip to Italy and believe it's important to always be learning and expanding horizons. Along with Italian, we're currently studying Portuguese, Japanese, Norwegian, and more. That's why we're so excited to partner with Babbel.com, Languages for Life, to offer 55% off subscriptions. We love their app-based lessons, online classes, podcasts, games, and more. We'll hook you up with discounted memberships so that you can learn to order Vino Rosso in any language. Search bandwivespod.com slash babble to sign up today. Um, we want to know a little bit more about you. You know, we know your background. We, we know that you've been in the industry for a while, but what's something that listeners would be surprised to hear about your life? Huh, interesting. Um... I don't know. I mean, you know, I was I was like a moth to the flame in, in music. I, I really, really wanted to be in the industry. I want well, I started off wanting to be a performer, but I couldn't hack it. The performance anxiety was too, too intense for me. I didn't really understand what was happening in my body. I didn't know it had a name. Um, but actually, I found that I was much better suited to being backstage to um yeah to working with people both in I mean I really love working in studios um but working in live and curating was was really um where I spent most of my time then I spent a bit of time on the road um and realized that some of my preconceptions were you know wildly inaccurate and I'd <laughs> underestimated the toll it would take and 
and things like that. And I'd, you know, I'd rooted that tool. Well, I hadn't rooted it, but I had, um, I'd made some decisions in the advancing of that tool that I think having spent some time on the road, I would have done very differently next time, I think, but yeah. Well, that is really interesting. Yeah. And so you did that for 10 years in the music industry and yeah. then went to school. Yeah. After that. Yes. Yeah, so I carried on booking venues in London in the Southeast throughout my training um, and kept getting referrals for as I was taking on clients, I was getting tour manager friends and manager friends were referring artists to me and clients to me. And then I was getting label managers and A&Rs and they were coming from the States and from Europe. And I was, you know, it was really started getting quite busy. And that's when I realized there's the, the need is much, much greater than I think I'd imagined. So we thought we'd set this kind of collective up and see whether we could try to tackle at least some of it. That's amazing. Well, this question ties directly into that. Being in the industry for a long time in many capacities and now as a therapist, what do you see as some of the biggest mental health challenges for touring members and their families? And we know it's in the book, but maybe you can touch on just some of the biggest that you've seen. I think I think one of the challenges is helping promoters and agents understand the impact to crew of some of the routing. Um, in particular that you know they may be thinking more about artist health but you know when they look at the routing um, and they look at the plan it would be really helpful if someone was in the room to say what is the health impact of that those days and you know this uh, you know where are people sleeping where are people resting um, I think of course we have you know, increasing awareness around addiction, around depression, things like that, but still access to services is a, is patchy. Um, and most of our grants and funds are short term, which is helpful to a point. But I think the level of need that we're seeing is actually greater than what some of the, um, the current budgets and grants allow for. So that's something that we we as the kind of healthcare providers need to think about, but more challenges for people who tour, well, taking care of yourself on the road, whether it's through eating well, you know, sleep conditions, the quality and availability of your relationships, you know, spend having time to connect with people. Um, so one of the initiatives that came up through the interviews was Family Hour, which uh, the Bieber tour instigated at Hayley Bieber's, um, it was Hayley Bieber's idea. So she said at four o'clock every day, everyone, you know, artists or crew, absolutely everybody in the touring party downs tools for an hour. And that's your time to connect with friends or family um, or therapists or go for a walk or do something. But it was really helpful to see that endorsed and enforced. And, you know, we heard from some people you know, it can be hard to tear people away because there can be a sense of urgency. Um, there's lots of moving parts, you know, so people can really not always prioritise maybe what, what would be helpful for them. So I think it, some of it's about psychoeducation, psychological safety, we said earlier. So that's about teaching managers and teams how to work better in a more um, attuned way to each other, to be more attentive to people's needs, to um, reduce discrimination for wage discrimination you know and and disparities in like gender pay gaps on the road for example things like that um but maintaining relationships i would say is one of the things that we know from cradle to grave is a huge stress reliever so i think teaching more about interpersonal skills and teaching um you know people what the issues are 
to their relationships? How will touring affect their relationships? And what, where are the sort of pressure points that they need to, to look at and making some space around there to, to talk about it and think about it together? Has it been for each person really making room, trying not to sort of lay blame with anybody, but understand what, what is the impact to their relationship of these cycles of separation and reunion that are inherent in touring? Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because we talk with the wives about that most, uh, you know, mostly is like that the impact of leaving, but often, more often than leaving, it's coming back Mm -hmm. because it's such a transition and they're in such a different headspace. And, you know, the partners at home have had a schedule that didn't include anyone else, you know, as a primary parent. And so that is something I had not even externalized or even thought of until I heard other people do it. And now I, of course, I noticed the effect it has on my body, but I didn't even, I Mm. should have just, I felt like I should just be grateful that they're back now that they're finally home. And it's been, so even just talking about it with, you know, with someone has been really beneficial. I think it can be very disruptive. Um, You know, as you say, people develop their kind of routines at home and often people come back feeling so exhausted and wanting to have, maybe wanting to be center stage or be looked after in a way that actually probably isn't where the other person's at. And so the other person (laughs) is like, you know, life does go on. Yes. Because both people need to be looked after. You know, one person's done the lion's share of the load and the and maybe feels like, well, you've had it quite easy. You've been looked after on tour. So you're not coming back here and being looked after again, you know. And, and then the other person's like, you don't know how hard it's been. No, but there can be dis- feelings of displacement. I think actually just recognising this is normal. This happens. This It may take us a couple of weeks to get back into our groove. Let's, you know, try and uh, ease in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until we started the show, I think I felt the same way as Misha, where I hadn't really considered a lot of these feelings that have just kind of become the way that you power through, the way that you get through this tour. If we can just get through this and then we'll get back to normalcy. And um, I find for myself and, and for some of the guests that we've had, even like disconnecting when they're away mm-hmm. is easier sometimes. Yes. You know, it's like, I don't need to hear the nuance of the day because you don't really want to share it. You're bored with it. And I'm just trying to juggle what's happening at home. And so there is this almost um, detachment that happens until you get back because you're just looking at this last date on the calendar and then everything can be like perfect again. And And I've found something in our lives that I recognize I kind of do is when he walks in the door, my, cause we have one, you know, we have one son. So it's just the two of us and we're hanging out and we're running around and we have this like little dynamic duo relationship that pops up. And then when daddy gets home, like he wants to be included in that. And sometimes it takes me a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so really like actively opening that back up and, and giving yes. him things that make him feel included uh, has been, has been something that we've been working on a lot obviously you've shared some great tips. I loved the tip about everybody having time for family or meditation or a walk or whatever on the road. I think that's brilliant and so necessary. Um, Do you have any tips or strategies for maintaining partnerships from a partner at home perspective? 
Yeah, there's one book that's coming to mind, actually, which I'm going to try and remember as we're talking. Um, it's by Richard Schwartz, and it's a book about marriage. It's I think it's called Marriage in Motion, and it's talking about the, the natural ebb and flow of relationships, of connection and disconnection. And I think on tour, those what is natural and ebb and flow is actually really blown out, so it's much more extreme. But what I would say for the person at home is really try to cultivate a... Um, something that is just yours because one of the challenges for the person at home is that your partner is getting if certainly if your partner's an artist is getting a great deal of glory they're center stage literally um and you have to have something that is just yours and it is separate so you don't always feel like you're a supporting character now that can work really well if everybody's comfortable with that but i think having something that's just yours and, and nurturing and investing in a life that is in parts of life that is separate is very helpful um i would also say if you can maintain a psychological presence, if you have children, a psychological presence of your partner with your child when they're absent, it may feel less, you know, th this was, say, for example, um, Taylor Hansen gave uh, a suggestion. So he's got loads of kids. He's got like seven, seven children, I think. And he said him and his wife try and maintain his presence at home through gift giving through a bit of contact with the children but through you know me and your dad wanted to to do this together so there's a sense that the child is being thought of you know by the other parent who's yeah. absent as well can kind of ease that sense of um well just keeps a keeps a presence of them I suppose that's a great idea I, I love that idea to, and it, to implement little gifts and say like oh yeah dad and I got this for you you knew you'd like it while he was gone that's mm -hmm. brilliant just seems so such a good idea <laughs> things you never think of until you you know well you're a talk to an expert for sure just shifting the language sometimes to be us I love that I think that's beautiful actually yeah it is a challenge to adjust though isn't it to kind of open up and then have to because there'll be times where you'll need to um you know protect yourself through it and sort of get on with things so it can be you know difficult to you kind of think well I, I don't know I'm imagining you may think well you have to kind of earn your way back in in a way it's not just so easy to just open up and close down and open up you just see what I mean you kind of totally and it's hard because you know sometimes the children are at an age where it's really easy for them Mm -hmm. um, to kind of have somebody in and out. And sometimes, you know, this has been the first year my son just turned nine and now he has this concrete memory uh, that he maybe didn't have when he was three and four. So now we're seeing this like, well, wait a minute. I know how much fun it is to be out there and I'm stuck here and I'm like, I have FOMO. <laughs> I want to be out there too. <laughs> yeah. And so we're dealing with some of that uh, from him, which we haven't really seen before because he kind of forgot about tour that's something that they are going to have to navigate. Daddy mm -hmm. isn't away from you because he wants to be away from you. And it's not that you can't come because he doesn't want you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Depending what the age of the kids are, they may care less or more. Mm -hmm. Just a surprising part of parenting because you think you have it all figured out. That's why the job is so interesting. My brother travels for work, but he's an engineer. So he's in like, <laughs> he's like building, I don't even know what he's doing, his engineer work. And it, but like his kids don't really want to go watch him like interface with a, you know, whatever. But it's different because my husband's just as much at work, but his job is entertainment. And so the kids are, you know, really interested. 
-hmm. yeah it's I mean it's exciting isn't it and you want to be part of that but also as a child you want to feel as much as possible that you're a priority and I think that's where some of the tension can be as well it's feeling that you have to compete with something very exciting um and you know it's very it can be and it isn't that home isn't exciting it's a different feeling it's a different um satisfaction it's a different um very different experience but it isn't that you know you don't have those shooting highs each each day in the same way so that's one of the challenges to navigate with families how do you express things and let things be heard and you know let whatever frustrations come out and also think about the benefits of you know of what dad's doing and yes you know and and how it works and that there's some kind of um yeah space to push back I mean children will push back in families you know there, there will be tensions in families in in any circumstance right for sure and I think the benefits are we talk very often about on this show um because I think that they do really outweigh uh, you know, some of the more challenging parts of it, I wouldn't change our our lives really for anything. I think it's, it's, it really works for us. And I think it can work for anyone. There's just, there's some figuring out both sides of that. So I, you know, your book is so important. And I think you're, the work that you're doing is really so important. I've never even thought of it as a child feeling like they're competing for this time or for this attention and that kind of blows my mind. So I'm going to have to process that for a minute. But it is, it just informs kind of the language I can use with them too. It, you know, if I notice that they're running askew or things are going a little bit sideways to to kind of comfort them in those terms. I think, you know, that's maybe not what all children feel, but mm-hmm. um, but it, it may be present and... Um, I think there's something as well about, you know, this is their father's job. And so there's, you know, it's sort of bringing it to, it's not, as you said earlier, it's not necessarily a choice. It's, there's, um, it is and it isn't, isn't it? I, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but it's kind of, yeah, explaining that this is the way that the family is set up and that this is, you know, what, what dad does for work. And it's unconventional and there's times to join him and there's times um, to not. Back to something we ask everyone, and I'm really excited to hear your answer. No pressure. (laughs) What do you know to be true about yourself, the world, and the universe? Oh, my goodness. Um, What do I know to be true about myself? What was the second one? The world and the universe. Okay. Um, Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) what do I know to be true about myself? I think I've learned through the making of the book that I can be quite tenacious, that I don't, I mean, I don't know how to, I would still say I don't know how to write. It's taken me years to to get to this stage and I don't feel like a writer. I don't know if anyone feels like a writer. Maybe that's just a shared experience, but, but I think I can put my mind to something and I can see it through. What do I know about the world? Hmm. I think that people seek security and they find it in different ways. But I think in in most of our time, we're often trying to seek security. However, we've learned how to do that. Um, What do I know about the universe? Oh, I don't know. 
do people separate it into three or is it one so one answer? I don't know. <laughs> Depends. Okay. I guess I'm comfortable with not knowing much about the universe. So that's I that. think that was my <laughs> answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think we can all agree that really we don't know much. Yeah. So now we're gonna jump into our rapid fire questions. These are off the cuff. Okay. What are you binge watching? reading or listening to right now oh I'm reading uh well I'm listening to a podcast called I think it's the crime analyst which I find absolutely fascinating um and that she uh, listens to like we're, we're look. I'm re- listening to the Alex Murdoch trial oh. at the moment and she's analyzing everything he was saying and the kind of tells and things so I think it's called the crime analyst crime analyst yes it is by Laura Richards Gosh. okay I'm in uh, that case is so bonkers. Did you yes. watch the Netflix um, documentary? Not yet. So I will do. But yeah, I mean, there's so much about, you know, his narcissism and everything else there. But I guess I'm thinking a little bit about hubris today, yeah. given the kind of the news. But yeah. I mean, a, just a recipe for that when you're in a small town with all of this wealth mm-hmm. and status and, you know, there, there's not a lot of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what about reading or listening or TV? Not, not like you probably have a lot of time. <laughs> I've just started reading Ryan Dusick's book. So he was the founding drummer of Maroon 5. He's now a therapist and he had a um, a breakdown on the road. Well, from intensive touring, that was one of the kind of contributing factors. And it's really interesting. Um, I'm not that far into it yet. So I'm reading that and watching. What are we watching? Um Sure, I think we're in between shows at the moment. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. I think we we were watching Little Fires Everywhere, but we thought it was just quite miserable. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I need something a bit more cheerful in the evenings these days. I can't help you with that. I'm the I'm like the devastating television watcher. Misha generally (laughs) finds happier, optimistic. Yeah, even the crime analyst, I'm like, sounds fascinating, not for me. I can't do it. I've been recommending The Big Door Prize to everyone. It's based off a a book, and it is really fascinating. It's just like a fascinating premise. It's on Apple TV. The Big Door Bust? Prize. 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 What's his name? Chris Chris Dowd? He's Irish, I think. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, I like him. Yeah. Yeah, he's really funny. He's in it. Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, next question. And through all your years in music, you probably ha- you might be- have a hard time narrowing this one down. But what would your theme song be? Oh, um, my theme song would be La La Love You by Pixies. That's one of my favorite songs. That's a great That's choice. Sweet. And I don't know why, but it's just the first thing that came to mind. And I was so delighted to interview Charles Thompson as part of the book. And I think there's, we'd definitely do more writing using the interview material. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a great kind of highlight. I mean, you must have so much material, like. Yeah, a lot. Maybe a second book. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm going to ask you our final question. Uh, You may be prepared for this one or maybe not. What is the best advice that anyone's ever given you? To 
two things. One is by a, a therapist called Sito Panasar. She wrote the sexual health chapter in the book. She told me saying something is better than saying nothing, which mm. I really like. I think it's not always true, but I think largely it is when I was kind of feeling a bit nervous about doing promo and stuff. And then the other thing was um, another therapist, Ida Vazin, saying, if I can't sleep, I'll accept rest. And I thought, it's so simple. But, you know, when you're wrestling with insomnia or something, you're really str- and then you start to feel a bit anxious about the knock-on effects and you're not sleeping, actually just resting, you know, your body get your body and your brain get a lot from that. So those are really great pieces of advice. I was going to write them down, but my notes are like really, really full from this interview. So I'll have to listen. When I listen back, I'll write them down somewhere. <laughs> um yeah that was great advice and the fact that you had it right at the top of your mind is very important I feel like I can never pull things out when I need them yes I know what you mean (laughs) this has been amazing oh thank you for having me I hope I didn't garble too much I have a tendency to sort of ramble and then edit later I'm going to order a few books and I'm just going to stick some on the crew bus and stick some on the in lounge and the band bus and And I don't know if we've even said it, but Tamsin's book, Touring and Mental Health, the Music Industry Manual is available. Uh, If you are a touring musician, a partner uh, in the industry in any capacity, you should order many copies, give them to everyone. Or someone just interested in learning about what it's like. Absolutely. I think a lot of the themes are universal, but then there's, you know, that kind of music industry context. But thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you for taking the time. Enjoy your wedding today. Thank you. (laughs) See you out on the road. Amazing. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.